what the fertility this is just amanda today cat is not on with us but i have julia with us today and she'll be talking with us about rare generic issues stillbirth miscarriage and termination for medical reasons so welcome julia yeah thanks for having me thank you we are so excited to have you on i wish cat was here um but we're so excited that you are able to share your story with us yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I know a lot of people that come on are really big on like social media and, and being active about their story. Um, I live in Montana and I'm, I'm more of the quiet type, but I know when I went through this experience, it took me over two years to find someone that had been through something similar. So it was important to me to come on and share my story, you know, in the event that someone's going through something similar and I can uh, be a support to them. Yeah, no, and we appreciate that so much. I think now, even with obviously the community of IVF and fertility, all that, it's growing so much and people are becoming more open to talk about it, but there's still so many many women and couples that, you know, aren't necessarily as open. And so it's so great for everyone when they can, if they can share their story, if they can help one person, I feel like it's, you know, worth it all then to share it. But so these are huge um, and big topics. So I do want to kind of put in a disclaimer. Um, if anyone is in a space right now that they're not willing to like, or ready to hear, um, we are going to be talking about miscarriage. We're talking about stillbirth. These are, um, big, heavy topics. So stop now. If you're not ready to, um, to listen to this, we have many episodes that are not talking about things like this. Um, but for those who are in a space where they need to hear this, um, if they're going through something similar, um, we are happy that Julia is here to share her story. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor um, and you can kind of tell us even, you know, before you guys, I guess, started trying how your fertility <laughs> journey has even began. And I'll just, like I said, I'll give you the floor to kind of um, just walk us through it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think like a lot of people on this podcast were like of the 2020 era of fertility. <laughs> so <All right. laughs> my husband and I, um, we got married in 2019. We sort of had a complex about not being young or old parents. I think when I was born, my mom was 24. And when my brother was born, she was almost 40. So I've seen like both extremes of, of parenting at different ages. And my husband yeah. and I were like, we're going to do it right, right? Like 28, that's a sweet spot. Um, so we started trying pretty soon after we were married, um, and we actually found out in March 2020, the day before my job went into lockdown, everybody went crazy, um, that we were expecting. So it took about six months for us to um, to get pregnant, and I think going into it, I had such an unrealistic expectation of what it took to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I come from a family of like fertile, fertile myrtles, right? Like yeah, right. getting pregnant on birth control, accidental babies, just uh, like anywhere. Oh, right? oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to look at my husband and this is going to happen for us. But, yeah. um, it took about six months, which I've, I've since, you know, learned is, is a very, very normal, um, time period, even for people with normal fertility. And so we were so excited to find out what we were expecting. Um, my first trimester was easy, breezy, beautiful. I had no morning sickness, yeah. um, which was very, you know, enviable. Um, yeah, at the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was really just a breeze and we were so happy. You know, we went in for, for the typical, you know, see the baby, there it is, there it wiggles, all of those kind of appointments. Um, and then we got to about 10 weeks and got offered the NIPT testing. So the not or NIPS, non-invasive prenatal screening. Yeah. yeah. 
first trimester blood work just and you know it was it was billed to us as a sort of it can give you a sigh of relief right most of the time it's going to screen out all the big stuff mm -hmm. um, you're going to be able to move forward you can find out you know the sex of the baby if that's important to you so we said you know why not we're we're scientifically minded people more info more better sure yeah <laughs> so um we did the screening and it says uh, that it typically comes back in five to seven days. And so, you know, like most newly pregnant moms, you're like eyeing your phone and checking it, walking into your portal, refreshing repeatedly. <laughs> uh, all the things that you do when you've got important info coming and it never came. And it, we just kept waiting and waiting and it had been 14 days. And I called my provider's office and just said, you know, we're, we're at double the time. Like, where is this test? Yeah. Um, they called in, there was a bunch of communication. It finally came in, I think after about 16 days and we got a call from our provider. Yeah, it was so long and it was weird because no one could really tell us why, you know, they were like it's in processing, right? Like it has a status that just says yeah. processing. Huh. Um, so we got a call from our provider when it finally came in and she said, Hey, I need to tell you, she said, the results are inconclusive. And I said, you, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? I waited 16 days and I still don't have an answer. What do you mean? Yeah. Right. Like, am I not pregnant? Like, what yeah. is it inclusive about? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what she said was the reason it took so long was because they kept running the tests and rerunning the tests and trying different ways of running the tests. And basically she said, you know, the vast majority of the time it's going to come back either positive or negative for the screen. But she said in a, a very, very small percentage of cases, it comes back as inconclusive. And that means there is a one in 17 chance that there is something wrong with the baby genetically, but it's something that one in 17 chance is something wrong. That's like not one of the standard genetic issues they screen for like down syndrome, trisomy 13, some of the, the more common ones that you hear about. And she said, in my career, you know, as an NP, I have seen maybe seven of these ever. And one of the seven cases, something is wrong. The other six were false positives. So naturally you're freaking out, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So she referred us to maternal fetal medicine um, locally and just said, hey, they, you know, they've got all the fancy ultrasound equipment. They can help you out. Um, because at so this, about, point, this point, everything on the ultrasound is looking completely normal, right? Yes. Yeah. So we went to maternal fetal medicine. They checked everything out about baby and they said, baby looks awesome. They said, the only thing is that you're not as pregnant as you think. I said, okay. And they said, I said, I'm, I think I'm, you know, 12 weeks and four days, whatever. And they said, oh, you're more like 11 weeks. Okay. And I was like, well, you know, like, like the, the type of fertility women we are, you're like, I'm pretty sure I know how pregnant I, I am. Exactly. So you're wrong. Right. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I'm like a first time pregnant person. Like maybe it's yeah. a small baby. Like, I don't know. Right. They're, they're telling me that everything looks healthy. Um, however, he, the provider did say, you know, since this result is so rare, I would like to consider doing an amniocentesis when you get a little further along, because that is something that can really be diagnostic, especially if we see any, you know, abnormalities as we go forward. So, yeah, and, and amniocentesis is scary, like that there's risk of miscarriage involved, um, but it is 
a helpful diagnostic tool. Can, um, do you mind sharing like exactly listeners who maybe don't know what that is? Can you just share what that procedure is exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, one of the distinctions to make is like between screening and diagnostics. So when we got the, the NIPS testing, what it's looking at is the, the cells that are coming off of your placenta. And so there's an assumption that the placenta cells and the baby cells are the same, which is why they can make you know assumptions from that. Sure. But um, when you do an amniocentesis, they're actually taking a sample of your amniotic fluid. There's a needle that goes through your stomach, actually into your amniotic sac, extracts amniotic fluid, and that's actual baby DNA. So they can say, like, this is the diagnosis for your baby. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. But it is, it is intense. I mean, you go into a big room, there's a big old needle. They do it um, via ultrasound so they can see where baby is and make yeah, sure they're near baby. Yeah. So um, it is, it is intense, <laughs> um, but for us, you know, we really wanted that peace of mind. No, oh, of course. And how far along were you when that happened? Yeah, it's interesting. So I had it planned for 16 weeks, I believe. Okay. Um, but when I went in to do it, they actually said I didn't have enough amniotic fluid to do it, um, which was another kind of risk and concern. They said, you know, why don't you come back in two weeks, make sure you drink like a ton of water leading up to the appointment, and we'll see if we can do it this time. Um, so I came in the second time to do it, and they said, oh, like again, like you don't have enough amniotic fluid. And so they were, they were poking around with ultrasound, doing all these things, and they said, you know, when's your due date? And we got all, into all these due date questions again. Um, and I just asked my, my doctor, I said, like, how big is this baby? You know, at this point, I'm like 17, 18 weeks. I'm like, how, how big is this baby? Yeah. <laughs> because every time I come in, I feel like people are telling me the baby is like slightly smaller. Um, and they went and crunched the numbers. And he said, you know, this baby is in the first percentile for measurements. Wow. That... And I was like, oh, that is shockingly small. <laughs> Ah, yeah, you think someone tells you a baby is small, you're like, oh, maybe like 20th, right? Yeah. Um, but not one. Not, not one. Yeah. So they said this baby's in the first percentile for measurements and you don't have nearly enough amniotic fluid. And I said, okay, like given these things, like what is, what is your gut feeling? Like what's the percentage chance this baby is okay? And he said, maybe like 1%. Oh my goodness. And you're just sitting there, you know, you're I mean, sitting yeah. there trying to take in this information, right? Because to this point, all we'd heard was baby looks perfect, baby's running behind. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's hard to, to really wrap your mind around that situation. And so we're, we're sitting there in the office and he said, look, like, I really, really think we should do the amniocentesis. And there's something that we can do where we actually in, inject saline into your uterus when we do the amniocentesis and then that like we can kind of like pull it out more safely okay we can inject saline and kind of like push baby away from us and then do i don't i don't know yeah, <laughs> it sounded yeah. risky. there were like five dot you know five oh, yeah. providers around my stomach trying to do all these things but my writer said, you know, basically this is the only way we're going to be able to find out like what's wrong with baby and and if it's important to do that we need to do that today yeah. So we did that and we waited for the results to come back. Um, and they came back and we found out that we had a little baby girl 
that had a condition called triploidy. Um, we hadn't, we had never heard of it. Um, <laughs> I think people were going to the books uh, for that. Um, we also learned in learning that we had a baby with triploidy at around 20 weeks, that the chances of carrying a baby with that condition at 20 weeks were one in 250,000. What? <laughs> wow. Wait, so what is that even? So most people who, if the baby has this condition, they would have miscarried on their own. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So what I've since learned is triploidy itself is actually not that uncommon. And so what it, what it means is the trip is like three sets. So you think about normal baby, you get one set of chromosomes from mom, one set from dad, and you have your 46. Yes. What triploidy means is you got a third extra set from somebody. So mom had an extra set or dad had an extra set. So baby has three. And so, and three complete sets. So when you think about like Down syndrome, you've got one extra chromosome 21. Triploidy, yeah. you have one extra of everything. Everything. Interesting. And so, wow. Yeah. And the, the most common thing that happens is called dispermy, which means that two sperm fertilize an egg. So you have two dad and one mom. Um, and it happens in about 1% of conceptions. Wow. This process where, you know, either the egg doesn't split and you have extra egg or extra sperm or whatever it is, it happens in 1% of all conceptions naturally. And it's one of the leading causes of like very, very early miscarriage, like five, six, seven weeks. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So you never know. It often happens like earlier than you can get miscarriage testing. So it is something that naturally occurs often. But what's really where it's actually just carrying the baby yeah. forward. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So... They told us, you know, it, it was probably dispermy. They said that's the most common way that you have two sperm that fertilize one egg. Um, it's completely random in, in the literature that we know. It's not even correlated to like maternal age. Yeah. Um, it's not correlated to anything. They said it's a completely random thing that can happen to anyone. It's just bad luck, basically. Which stinks, of course, to hear. I'm sure that's not what anyone... <laughs> right. They're like, there's nothing you could do different. And there's yeah. nothing I can tell you. <laughs> it's like a, a freak thing that just unfortunately happens. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then what was just so rare is they were like, we, you never carry this long. Like the chances of that are so, so small. And so at that point, you know, they, they told us, you know, triploidy is not life compatible. Like the, the longest baby that has ever lived with this condition is maybe six months, but it's, it's highly lethal. I mean, basically your body just has bad blueprints. They said, you know, it's like if you're building a house and you had three sets of blueprints on top of each other, you'd get extra doors in places and missing windows in places and three faucets on your sink. Yeah. Um, your body just doesn't build itself the way that it's supposed to. And so, um, you know, they told us like this baby might not have a face. Like you might be carrying a 20 week old baby that has, doesn't have a face because the facial features of this baby didn't develop correctly. Oh my goodness. I could not even yeah. imagine hearing that. <laughs> yes. And it was just, like I said, it was such a, a shock because we didn't have much of a buildup to it other than you have a small baby, right? That yeah. was it. So I'm um, definitely a shock to come to that. They sort of laid out our options, right? Like you can, um, we can do a termination for medical reasons. We can, you can carry this baby until the baby passes away. Um, you know, those were really the two primary options that we had. I mean, you know, I said in rare, rare cases, this baby will make it to birth and may live for 
you know, hours, days, weeks, mm-hmm. uh, time frame. Yeah. Yeah. And my husband and I had talked about, it's interesting because my mom actually had a stillbirth, not genetically related, um, at 30 weeks. And I remember that from being a child. And so we talked a lot about, um, you know, the possibility of fetal death and what that would look like for our family and what kind of choices we make. So it was, yeah, I've told my mom since I'm like, it's kind of a blessing because I feel like I had a lot more exposure to that than most people. Yeah. But it's also like a a bad irony (laughs) as well. Oh, of course. Yes. But, and it's so interesting because I don't think people realize. So when they hear like termination for medical reasons, I think people don't necessarily think about like what that would look like on the other side of it, if you do choose to continue the pregnancy and then this a stillborn, if that is what happens, I don't think people necessarily like look at those are your two options. Like I think people, I don't know. It's just really, you, there's so much more into it that people don't see. And you really, as your family have to look at, okay, can I handle, I mean, it's all horrible, right? Can I handle the stillborn side of it better? Or can I handle us terminating it better? And like, there's, that's the biggest, hardest decision that I can't even imagine that you guys went through. It's absolutely true. And I I think one of the things I have learned through this process is to just give yourself grace around that decision. And you may wake up one day feeling one way and the next day feeling a different way. So sure. (laughs) We had like very you know, staunchly agreed that if we ever got in this situation that we would do medical termination, we felt very strongly about it going into the process. And we said in the office, when we talked to the doctor, we said, you know, we, we would probably like to move forward with medical termination, but give us like a couple days to, to decide and process this. Um, and then you get into the legal elements, right? Where the doctor's like, I can do it for this many more days. And then I will have to refer you to someone in Oregon in the middle of a pandemic to do this past X number of days. You know, you get yeah. into all the weeds there, oh, um, sure. which as of late have been extra, extra crazy. Oh, yes. Um, but we went home and just said, okay, like, you know, it's calm down. We still feel good ab- about the medical termination decision. We feel that's the best option for our family. And so the next day, I'm at work. Uh, my husband's at work and I get a text from him and it just says, I can't do it. And my, my first instinct was to just be mad because I'm like, we agreed. Like we, we have had this plan figured out. You made a decision. Like we have a plan. What do you mean? Yeah. yeah. And my husband is for anyone that knows him, he, he is so, discerning in his decision-making and he's so finite, like he'll mull something and then he'll come to a decision and it's done. Like he's never going to change his mind. And this is maybe the first time in our whole relationship of, you know, five plus years where he said to me, like, I need to change my mind. Wow. Um, and I was angry, you know, I'm like, this is my body. Like we came up with this decision together. Um, it was a really challenging time. Um, but we took a couple days and discussed, you know, what it would mean. And for him, he said, you know, if we do a medical termination, we don't really get to meet our baby. You know, we, we don't get to see our baby. We don't get to hold our baby. He's like, I don't want to spend the whole, you know, <laughs> I don't want to spend the rest of my life wondering who she was What if, yeah, yeah, and, and thinking about that. And, um, you know, he's like, I think that will be harder to live with, like not knowing who she was. And even if she doesn't have a face or she has two arms or whatever, you know, whatever crazy blueprint 
um, happenings happened with her body that he really wanted to know her. And so we, you know, we, we thought that over and, and we decided that that was the best approach for us at the time was to continue to carry, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, you know, if things change, one of the risks with carrying a baby with triploidy, there can be risks to the mother as well. So one of our considerations was, you know, if, if my health started to deteriorate, you know, we would reevaluate and, and maybe make a different decision. Which um, I think is um, just like, just a side note, really important to um, just mention is that I do think there are, of course, you know, so many people that have that belief too, of what your husband was thinking. So I think it's so important to really as you know, you're going through this, um, with your spouse to really look at both sides, like we said, and you know, you have to have that discussion. You have to really, whether it take days, see a therapist, whatever you may need, like take time to truly make that decision, see both sides. And you know, your husband, he changed his mind on that. And I think that's so important for both the couple, like one person just can't make that choice. I feel it's really important that both of you talk about it. Absolutely. And I think one of my biggest fears actually, after we found this diagnosis was losing my marriage. Um, After my parents had a stillbirth, their marriage really suffered. It disintegrated. They didn't process together Mm -hmm. um, in the same way. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, I was a kid, I'm sure there were other factors that contributed. But that's Um, still a huge, huge factor, I'm sure in it. Yeah. Huge. And so that was really, really important to me was like how, you know, how do we put our marriage first in this really challenging situation, you know, Absolutely. with our, with our family. And so we decided to carry our, our provider was amazingly supportive of whatever route we decided to take. And so we agreed that we would have, you know, every other week monitoring, we would, you know, limit a lot of the tests and things that, you know, to the best of our ability. I'm like, I don't, want to know everything that's going on right but they said we need to see you every other week to check that the baby's you know if the baby is still alive to check you know some of your basic vitals um to make sure that your health is doing okay and so that is what we did and then we carried that baby until 27 weeks um and it was it was a strange (laughs) it was a strange time you know you you feel the kick i mean she was still still growing and still in there and still very much alive. And, um, you know, you go to work and you go about your life and do your things, but you know that, you know, any day that situation could change. But um, there are a lot of things about that period that I'm really grateful for in, in choosing that. But we, we did go in at around 27 weeks and she was, her heart was still beating, but they told us she has not grown at all since we last saw you. And you have almost zero amniotic fluid. Um, so they said, you know, we feel that the time is pretty short, you know, going forward. So your options are at this point, you know, you can come in every single day. We can do an ultrasound, you know, we can wait for baby to pass or, um, we can go to the hospital and induce labor and start this process. Um, and so again, that's like another decision that I didn't realize was going to be a decision. (laughs) No, of course. Yeah. Well, because you get yeah. like this diagnosis, I would imagine, and you don't think that you're going to have to make these huge decisions again and again and again. Yeah. You sort of, everyone thinks about that one, right? Like carry yeah. your DNA, but That's then like, there are these other like decisions that just come along the path, you know, if you choose to carry, which is, um, 
you know, some of it's a, a blessing. Like I think about the difference between my stillbirth and my mom's stillbirth. I mean, my, my mom went into the doctor and the baby didn't have a heartbeat and unexpectedly out of nowhere for no reason. Um, and she had to give birth, you know, very quickly. For me, I knew it was coming, which is a blessing and a curse, a curse in that you have to walk around with that information, a blessing in that we got to make so many choices about how that experience would be for our family. We got to go to counseling. We got to think about like, what hospital do we want to give birth in? What kind of, you know, pain management options do we want to pursue? How, you know, if the baby happens to be born alive, like what kind of care do we want to be provided? And so I feel like, obviously this situation is really challenging, but I feel we are sort of blessed with time yeah. um, to make some of those decisions. Absolutely. Let me look at my notes here. I want to make sure. Um, so yeah, anyway, we, we went in around 27 weeks. They told us she's not going anymore. We made the decision um, to induce labor. I just told my husband, I said, I can't like go to work every day and continue to, to move on you know, with my life, knowing that at 8 a.m. the next day, I have to go in and see if my baby's still alive. So we made the decision to induce, um, went into the hospital. They told us, you know, your baby's like one pound, like she, she's a little, a teeny girl. Um, these typically are very fast. Like we will give you, um, I think I took oral cytotec, which is the same medication they prescribe often for miscarriages. Um, she, they, they told us it would take like three to five hours because she was so tiny. It took 50 hours. Wait, stop. Five zero. Five zero, <laughs> five zero hours. Okay, wait, wait. Back up. What? Oh my gosh, one, you are a superwoman. Like, I cannot even imagine. Oh my goodness. How, what in the world, what happened? Yeah, so we started with the side attack and, um, you know, everything started moving along. Like, I was throwing up, like, a lot of things they say that happen before you have a baby. And, um, she, she just didn't want to come out. I mean, and, and the doctor said, he was like, you are, you are real good at being pregnant. And he's like this, you know, you're carrying a baby that the odds are you should never carry this baby. And now you don't want to birth this baby. Like, yeah. yeah. He really likes this baby. And I was like, well, I hope that's a good thing for the future. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I, I did like 10 hours with no drugs because they said it might be fast. It might not be like that painful. After 10 hours, I was like, I, I don't want to have contractions anymore. <laughs> um, they switched me to like an IV drug for 30 yeah. hours. I still wasn't ready. Um, she still wasn't descending. I still wasn't dilating. And then I got an epidural and then 10 hours later, um, she was born. So oh. it, <laughs> even if your baby is small, Sometimes and your body really, like, really likes being pregnant. Was a C-section ever on the table or was it? No, because she was small enough that we didn't really have concern about C-section. The one thing that was on the table is oftentimes when you have a, a birth with triploidy, you have retained placenta. Like your placenta doesn't come out with your baby. It gets stuck. And then you have to go to emergency surgery to re remove your placenta. So we were very lucky when she was born that placenta came with, everything came, um, wow. and, and we were able to have like a healthy vaginal birth in that situation. Wow. But um, she did, she passed away during the labor process, which they told us was very likely. We were very well set up for that. They said, you know, it's a lot of stress on a little body that's already sick. Right. Um, so she was still born. Um, 
she looked really good. I gotta say, she had a tiny cleft lip. That was it. She had big, beautiful eyes. She had big shock of brown hair. That's the first thing I asked because my oh. husband was a bald baby. And I said, does yeah. she have hair? Yeah. Did I win? Oh. <laughs> um, I said, yes. And, and shout out to the care team. We had like the A team. Um, and I can't imagine what it would have been like from their perspective, um, but they were incredible. And the first thing the nurse said when she came out is, oh my gosh, she is so pretty. Mm. And you think about that, you're like, that's a weird thing to say for someone's right. baby who's like not alive, right? Yeah. But she was, she was, and she just doted on her and like went in the back and found a little outfit that would fit her and just like really, she got a, the hospital provided they have like a program where photographers will come in and do pictures yeah. for stillborn families. So the nurse set that all up for us. We got a ton of pictures. We look happy, which seems seems a little bit ironic, but I think we were just happy to be done with the process and to get to to meet her and know her. Yeah. Um, which was just so very special. Wow. So, Thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. chapter one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we appreciate it because especially for those that you know are going through it to hear someone else's story with it and if they choose the same path that you did, just to hear someone else and you know that you're grateful for those moments even. That's I'm yeah, sure. And I, I do not begrudge anyone that chooses something differently. Like I said, my number one learning is you're gonna wake up every day and feel differently, like I think I was probably pretty judgmental of people in that situation before it was me. And now I'm like, whatever you need to do, just, yeah. just do it. Like, don't yeah. care what other people think about your process. Yep. It's your journey and whatever yeah. you feel between you and your spouse, what feels best. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So our journey got crazier because <laughs> they said, um, they said, okay, so what happened to you was random. You know, we went in for the six week, like post post-delivery appointment. They said, you can try for a baby whenever you want. Again, go yeah. for it. Um, and we decided pretty quickly that we were ready. Plus it took us six months the first time. We're like, we'll give it a try, right? So three months later, we decided we were ready to try again. We got pregnant the very first month that we tried. So we were like blown away. Um, that pregnancy was really interesting. It was probably too quick in retrospect. I don't think we had fully processed what we had been through, but we were also, we found out we were expecting, I think, December 20th. So it made our first Christmas without our first daughter, Tilly, like really, you know, a little easier on your heart. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, just a quick question, Julia. So yeah. I I know they said it was just like very rare. So, and it was like a freak thing. So there was, they never assumed that this would be something that could happen again. Right. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> not, no, they didn't. Um, they told us like, like literally the medical literature, like does not like there's no recurrence. And they didn't do like any, I'm just curious. Cause obviously on my side through like IVF and stuff, like my husband and I both did genetic testing and stuff for both of us. So mm -hmm. at this point, did they do any like blood work on you or, or your husband? They did a little, they did the basic carrier screenings, okay. um, but they both came up clean. Okay. Um, so they said, you're good to go. You guys are young. You're in yeah. good health. Um, yeah. Go for it. So Okay, yeah, so I found out that <laughs> you know, you're good. I found out I was pregnant. Um, around five weeks, I started spotting. And I was like, okay, like I'm, you know, this is what's gonna happen. I'm having a miscarriage. I went in, they said, baby looks fine, like you're fine. I continued to spot weeks five through 13, basically continuously. 
And I was, it's a mental, you know, I like the mental space. I should not be spotting right now, but I did for, you know, eight weeks. Were you um, like a hot mess? I feel like I would be just oh, like, yeah. every day. <laughs> like, it was, I was a hot mess. Yeah. I was a hot mess. Um, and I kept spotting, spotting, spotting. And around, you know, they said, okay, you're out of the first trimester. Like, your baby looks good. I'm like, I'm still spotting. Like, what is going on here? And they're like, you're fine, you're fine. Um, and then around 13 weeks, the spotting started to get heavier. And I went into the doctor at about 4 p.m. on a, a Friday or a Thursday. And I went in and they did an ultrasound and they said, baby looks great. Like, here's baby, here's baby wiggling. Like, baby's at the very top of your uterus. Like, they're not, you know, sometimes they say if baby's like really low, maybe that means you're miscarrying. But they said, baby's up here wiggling. Here they are. Um, you're fine. I, I had ironically, I took the NIPS testing again but it got lost in the mail um, in like a snowstorm in Indianapolis or something. And so I was waiting for the results for a long time. And then they called and said, your results expired sitting on a tarmac in Indiana. So we actually don't have results for you. You're like, oh my gosh, I never want you to call me again. Like, <laughs> you know, my doctor was like, well, we can do it again. And I'm like, at this point, like, I'm just over it. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I did, I did go in and, and, um, yeah, I was spotting really bad 13 weeks, but they said, baby's fine. Like, we don't know why you're spotting. Sometimes this just happens and you've been spotting for so long that like, we don't, you know, are not really concerned about it. And so I went home and that night I woke up at one in the morning in labor and I had had a baby and I knew what contractions felt like. Oh Yeah. I was in full, you know, I'm like timing, they're like super regular. Um, and I miscarried that baby. Um, it was very, and you very at, your home. at my home, 13 and a half weeks. Um, not my body took care of that naturally, which I'm very grateful for. I know a lot of people have, have challenges or missed miscarriages. Um, but that was a total mind trip because this whole time you you've been told you know what happened to you is a fluke you're totally yeah. fine you're out of the first trimester we've seen a heartbeat forever like you're yeah. in great shape um and it, it was also just mentally really weird because i i knew i was having contractions but then they just stopped and i was like oh like maybe i'm okay like yeah, maybe i'm fine but in reality, what had happened was like my cervix had dilated enough for the baby to come out. So I went to the bathroom and, and baby came, you know, out and I called my husband and I was like, I think the baby's in there. I mean, it was very, I'm sure. Very, <laughs> and I had been at the doctor's office at 4 PM that day being told that baby was safe baby and fine. Yeah. Oh my so, God. Baby was, was in the toilet. We called the hospital and said like, what? do we do? Yeah. Um, their recommendation, which, you know, for anyone that experiences kind of a later miscarriage like this, um, they want you to put baby in a bag in the refrigerator and then come to the hospital the next day. Um, and that's how they can do, um, genetic testing on, on baby. So I um, never have heard like, that's, I mean, really good to know for anyone yeah. there because I had not heard that before I had a miscarriage at home but I was earlier on, I was at eight weeks um, and we did not do any genetic testing, but that is, wow. That's, but that was our recommendation was like, so wow. we got baby out of the toilet, 
plastic bag into the refrigerator. And then the next morning I went in. Um, and I got to tell you, that's one of the strangest things happening this whole process is sitting in the OB office with my paper bag of baby and, and waiting for my appointment while like other pregnant moms go into the office. <laughs> I, Julia, I had literally no idea how you are so strong. Like that is true. I mean, that talk about traumatic, like that is wow. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. I, I think about it now, you know, anytime I'm in the OB office or anything like there, oh, could, so triggered. there could be someone sitting here in this situation because that person was me at one point. And so I try to be like really sensitive in that, in that space. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, but they, they took baby, they did run some more panels and things on me. Everything was normal. Um, we waited for genetic testing results to come back. That was a girl and she had triple ID again, which they told me was like virtually impossible. What? Yep. So the exact <laughs> same diagnosis. The exact same diagnosis. Yes. And again, to carry even the 13 weeks is one in a hundred thousand. Um, so it's like the rarest. <laughs> right. I could not believe it. And, and I was blown away. I mean, my provider was like in a morbid way, you need to like buy a lottery ticket, right? Like this right. is not, this doesn't this is happen. Basically like, not yeah. clinically possible what has happened to you. And so the other piece of information we learned from that is that the triploidy was maternal in origin, which is even a rarer side. So like I said, most of the time it comes from dispermy where you get two sperm yeah. for like an egg. Um, we learned that this, this was a maternal triploidy, meaning that my egg didn't split correctly in the egg formation process. Um, so the, the triploidy was maternal. And I immediately said, can we go back and test our first baby? Hmm. And well, we don't usually do that. It's usually dispermy. You know, we don't, we, we don't do that. And I was like, no, I need yeah. to know. Yeah. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. I need, I need someone to tell me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we really had to, had to fight for that. Cause they were like, this is random. Like there's no, there's very, you know, basically no clinical evidence that you could ever have maternal twice or that it would be genetic or hereditary or anything. You're like, okay, um, but look what just happened. Right. Gonna happen. Let's test this. Come on. Yeah. They told me, and they still tell me that the best explanation is bad luck. Um, I'm like, okay, whatever. So crappy. <laughs> like, are you serious? Yeah. You're like, no, I want a real reason. Like someone tell me. Yeah. So we fought to go back and test and, um, test results revealed that the first pregnancy was maternal triple AD as well. Were you like, See, glad we tested, right? Yes, I was I was glad that we really advocated for ourselves because yeah, that, even just one maternal triploidy is very rare to have two in a row is crazy. And so this is the part where like, you know, I'm Googling, I'm out there on the internet, I'm out there on social media yeah. trying to be like, has anyone ever this. experienced this? Yeah. And and working I they referred me to a genetics counselor. I started working with her. She said, you know, there's there's basically four papers that have ever been written about maternal triploidy that has happened more than once. And every paper studies one person. It's not like here are 50 women that have had, it's like one time this one woman had two triploidy pregnancies. Oh my gosh. Cause normally in any like study, it's like, yeah, 50 women, hundred women fall like, right. And it's like literal individual patients. They're like this weird thing happened to this one person. So I'm like, awesome. Like there's no information. And and the, the 
tiny bit of literature that did exist was very scary. I mean, we read there, I remember reading about the latest woman that had been through this and she had 18 miscarriages and she had two children. She had two healthy pregnancies and 18 losses. Oh my goodness. I just remember looking at my husband and being like, I don't, I can't do that. Like I can't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) No, of course not. I mean, oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So we went through, um, you know, a lot of, of processing about what, you know, because like in a lot of cases with infertility and, and related issues, it's like, how many times are you willing to try, right? There's not really, you know, most people can probably have a, a biological child if you try a hundred times, right? But like, who wants to try a hundred times? Like not oh, yeah. very many people. Yeah. No, I mean, we tapped out. I was like, nope, we're going to get um, adopted embryos because I can't keep going through this. So yeah, I mean, I get that. Yeah, it's so an interesting thing too, because you don't, you don't know what your story is going to be like, but we had these pictures of like, this could be your story. And I was like, I don't want that story. I, I don't, we've already had enough story for anybody, right? For a lifetime. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And we just, we weren't getting help from the genetic counselor and I, I don't blame her, right? Like she didn't know anything about what we had. She said, you know, your risk of having this happen again could be 1%. It could be a hundred percent. It could be that every egg you ever make is wrong. And every time you try, this will happen to you. So we had to think really hard about like what we're going to do next. Sure. Um, so we decided to do IVF with PGS testing. Um, the, sh- the short of that is even that got crazy because they told us that they w- maybe wouldn't be able to test for a particular condition. That's what um, I was going to ask for. Yeah. I know I've seen kind of just like the breakdown of what it tests for. And I mean, it very well could have been on the list and I just didn't know what it meant, but I didn't know if they could test specifically for that. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I've learned that a lot of the genetics testing, what they look, what they look for is like something that's different. So if you think about a baby that has Down syndrome, they have one extra 21. And so when they look at their results, they can't tell exactly how many chromosomes you you have of everything, but they see like a little spike at 21 and 21 says I'm different and it sticks out on the paper. They said the challenge with triploidy is you have a third set of everything. So So everything looks uniform, right? And they said it's extremely difficult to test for that in PGS because all we see is like everything looks uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to work with the genetics lab to actually figure out like, do we even have the technology to be able to support the kind of testing that we need? Um, and we, we feel very grateful for our timing because we found out that the kind of, they call it like next gen sequencing, there's all this different technology that goes in, but like the technology that we needed to test for triploidy has only been on the market for like two years. Wait, stop. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, Wow. Incredible and amazing. Wonderful. Um, But you're thinking about, you know, like, wow, if, you know, if this would have been my mom's generation or even if I I were five years older than I am, like I may not have had any options. Yeah. Wow. Well, timing is clearly on your side here for that. Wow. Yes. So we, we got extremely lucky in that regard. And so, um, fast forward through all the IVF stuff. Cause I know <laughs> we talk about that a lot, all the, all the shots, all the fun. 
Um, at the end of the day, we got four embryos, which we were so grateful for. They went to PGS testing and three of them were completely normal. And the fourth one did not have triplicity. It had something like totally random yeah. sequence, sequence chromosome eight oh dislocation, God, yes. something weird. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, we, <laughs> it was super amazing. We were blown away. I mean, I talked to my provider and I was like, what happened? Like how, how? how? Yeah. And they still say number one is that you just have really bad luck. Like that's still statistically, medically, the most likely explanation. Number two, which is more like his, his hunch as a medical professional is that my body doesn't get the memo to split my eggs on its own. So like whatever sequence of DNA and hormones and all these things that say, okay, egg, like time to split yourself. Yeah. Mine just like are don't listen. <laughs> they don't know how to do it. Yeah. And so his, his um, professional opinion was that, you know, we gave you a really amped up trigger shot. Yeah. And we think that potentially your body got the memo. It was like, okay, let me just like, I need to do this. And so, um, it's, you know, he said it's possible that like any baby you tried to have naturally, you could have had this occur, but like, because we did IVF and controlled cycle and we really amped up that trigger yeah. that your body's like, okay, I know what to do. Well, so incredible. we still don't know. <laughs> um, you know, now we're going through the frozen embryo transfer and all that fun stuff, which we don't have to talk about because I I don't know how it's going to end and we're still yeah. a work in progress. Yeah, no. <laughs> but that's like, that's like where we've been that's so far. I, yeah, I wanted to share because I, I think, um, you know, especially with these kind of like rare genetic disorders or things like that, like people don't know what you're, people don't know how to help you. I mean, we, we went to some of the best genetic counselors, whatever, like they never heard of our stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, even when you go to the very best, best people. So you kind of have to like buy it for yourself, like really trust your intuition, you know, make those choices for yourself, do your own research. I mean, I was like literally bringing like those four papers that I found to my genetic counselor. I mean, like, uh -huh. what about this? What about this? Um, oh, you I'm know, sure. self-advocacy is really important. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, we appreciate you sharing all of that and sharing your journey. And we are, you know, praying and hoping the best for you for your frozen transfer. And I will totally be stalking to see how it all goes. You'll be stalking um, my non-existent social media. Oh, okay. Well, I will be emailing you. True. I'll email you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah. One thing I did want to say that I, I have on my list to talk about is when you can get pregnant, but you can't maintain a pregnancy, there is this very weird gray area that you fall into like legally and with insurance. It's been, an, it's been really challenging. Um, I think a lot of insurances and tax laws, et cetera, are very more knowledgeable around like infertility, right? Like infertility, meaning like I can't get pregnant in a 12 month period of trying, you know, like the standard medical definition of that it gets very gray when you can get pregnant, but you can't maintain a pregnancy. And I've had a lot of challenges in getting like insurance coverage. You know, they're saying, oh, well, if you had infertility, we would give you this benefit, but you can get pregnant. So you don't have infertility, right? So you don't qualify for X, Y, Z thing. Um, so that's really hard to hear. So you're like, you're, so you're saying it would be better if I just couldn't get pregnant at all versus getting pregnant and having my babies pass away like that. <laughs> Like, you know, financially it would be better for me to not be able to get pregnant at all. So it, it's been challenging to navigate that, but I would encourage folks to like really 
go to go to bat for it. I I just recently had um I'm so so blessed to work for an amazing company that has some fertility benefits. Um it's awesome. I I really appreciate everything they do. Um but I had a benefit that was like I got taxed, you know, $4,000 on that benefit because I don't have infertility. But if I had infertility, I wouldn't get taxed. Yeah. And so I went to bat. I mean, I went and my provider helped me. He was awesome. He like wrote a letter you know, cause they told me like, basically IVF is not medically necess necessary for you. You're electively choosing IVF. It's so crazy because it's like, <laughs> no one would choose this. Like, right. No <laughs> really understand with like insurance companies or any of these like benefits is like, I'm sorry, but no one's going to actively choose to struggle with like a loss or fertility or go through this process just for fun. Like it's so, it's so true. Yeah. Like, and yeah, they basically said like, well, like since you can get pregnant and like since technically, you know, there's no literature that says people with recurrent maternal triplicity can't have a healthy baby, then you don't have it. So it's hard, but I, I did go to bat for it. I did. My provider got on board, wrote a letter of medical necessity and said like, this was the recommended path for this patient due to, you know, history and unknowns around this condition. Yeah. Um, and they actually did reverse it. Um, it took several months but, and many, many phone calls and conversations yeah. and emails and documentation and all SF, but like it did actually reverse. And, and I hope in general, the tides are changing around how people feel about this whole process and how, you know, insurance and other systems support women going through this. But I would just encourage anybody to like, especially when you have this rare kind of stuff, like don't just take base value when they tell you like, Oh yeah, like we're not gonna pay for this, we're not gonna do this, we're not gonna, you know, you can't see this provider because XYZ. Um, people just don't know. <laughs> and you have to educate them and and really be a self-advocate. Well, especially, I mean, there's only four cases you said with yours. So <laughs> it's not people don't talk about it, people don't know about it. So yeah, you do have to, you know, fight for yourself and and be your own advocate. So that is wow, that's really? so encouraging. All right. That was the last thing on my list. <laughs> I'm a list. I'm a list person. Here oh, I am. Hey, I Kat and I so appreciate that. <laughs> exact same way. Type A through and through. Well, Julia, we so appreciate you coming on and being so vulnerable and just sharing all of your journey and all of these hard, devastating things that you've gone through, but also seeing the you know, gratefulness that came through it. And obviously now you're for embryos that you have and we wish you the best of luck and we're just really excited. To